Hey, everybody, welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. As always, we are broadcasting this episode from the Gunnison Valley of Colorado. And again, after we get past our current world of travel restrictions and the like, you should definitely come spend some time on our amazing network of trails here in Gunnison and Crested Butte. Now, our guest today is Georgia Porter, co-owner and personal trainer at the Physio Shop in Flagstaff, Arizona. And Georgia and I had a terrific conversation about her avoidance of running as a kid, her badass grandma who was running ultras back pretty much before running ultras was a thing. We talk about mean sisters and maybe having one who later becomes your coach and helps you put in a very proud performance at the 2020 U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials. And we talk about Georgia's transition from being a paramedic to becoming a personal trainer and Georgia's belief and practice of combining strength training and endurance training and why more runners still might want to learn to love strength training. And since we jump around a good bit on the timeline in this conversation, I should point out that Georgia is currently 32 years old. So, you know, it's been a long time since she was a javelin thrower. And so maybe that's why she can't remember a single thing about throwing the javelin back in high school. Anyway, you'll see what I mean. Let's go ahead and get to it. Well, Georgia, how are you today? And where are you today? I am so good today. I currently am living in Flagstaff, Arizona, so quite uh, a mecca for runners, for distance runners in particular. And um, yeah, I'm just, I'm doing really good. I'm really blessed that I'm still working um, with everything that's going on. So I still have my job, and um, but I'm doing it remotely, which means I get to run whenever I want. So when you say you're still working, is this meaning you're doing sort of remote appointments with clients? Well, definitely remotely. It's not exactly appointments because right now we only have a couple trainers and we have 70 members, so it wouldn't really be feasible. But um, I write my members each uh, individualized training. I send it out. And then we also record and stream a live workout every day that goes up on our YouTube page and it's accessible by anyone. And we realized it was really boring for people to just watch myself and Craig do exercises and talk about exercises. So we started doing trivia questions. So now the videos are really entertaining. So for anybody who needs workout motivation, those are free. Like what kind of trivia, like running trivia or? No, that would be way too boring. Um, we do all sorts of things. Like today it was on like health and the human body. And we did one on space and one on animals, you know, just fun topics. Okay. Okay. So I can come check this out if I either need a, a good workout or just entertainment, just entertainment. Okay. That's good. We got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to kind of start it at the beginning ish. Tell us a bit about your background. Yeah. So I grew up in a really small town, Hawkinson, Washington. It's maybe an hour like northeast of Portland, Oregon. 
And when I grew up, I grew up in a family of runners. I have two sisters and a brother. They all started running in middle school and high school. And um, my mom even coached on the track team, I think, when I was in high school. And I did not like my sisters at all. They were the enemy. (laughs) So therefore, I did not like running or anything to do with running. And so when I was growing up, I, you know, I played a bunch of different sports. I was on the basketball team for a year, uh, did pretty terrible. I was on, uh, what else did I play? I think I played um, softball. I was on the dance team. And then I believe one year my mom forced me into being on the track team. And so I was like, fine, I'm going to be a thrower. So I threw javelin and disc very poorly for a year. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I remember being forced to go watch my sisters run. And I was like, this is so boring. I'm just watching them run circles. And, you know, I really wasn't into it. And so, yeah, so I ended up after high school, I, I got into EMS. So emergency medical services. And um, I was in EMS for, I think, 12 years, 11 years, something like that. I was a paramedic. And I really loved it, but, you know, maybe like five years in or so when I was in my mid twenties, I started realizing that I was <laughs> getting out of shape and not like strength wise. Cause I lifted a lot. I was in the gym all the time, but I didn't do any cardio. So I had a, what I like to call a layer of party. Um, and I realized I needed to get, you know, some endurance. And so I thought, okay, I will, uh, sign up for a triathlon because they have three types of endurance that I'll have to do. So I signed up for one of those and that kind of is what got me started on my journey, um, even running. I think it might be the case that I have never had a conversation with anyone in my life about the javelin. <laughs> well, this is not going to be an enlightening one, so. <laughs> well, what, like, I mean, how long did you, were you a javelin thrower? Do we call this a javelin thrower or a javelinist? How do we, what, what's the proper term? You know, I think the problem with any of these questions is that, is that I was so much more focused on socializing and partying than I was on javelin technique. So I, I don't even remember, like, I couldn't throw a javelin more than like 10 feet today, probably. I mean, <laughs> I don't even know what, it, I just did it because I, probably had to join track. Okay, but there's a lot of different things you could have picked. Why did you pick the javelin? I think because I was just a punk and I knew that my sisters were runners. And like I said, I I did not like them. Of course, now they're my two best friends in the whole world. I absolutely adore them. Um, But at the time, that was just the last thing I wanted to do was do the thing that was my sister's thing. They were both um, incredible in high school and still are. So I just, I didn't want to do something that they were doing. I wanted to do something as opposite as possible, which turns out to be javelin. That was my logic at 17 years old. (laughs) Okay. So really that's it. I'm not going to learn anything. I still effectively have never had a conversation about the javelin in my life. (laughs) That's correct. Okay. Um, Other related question here. If you hated your sisters and now you love them, this means that either you were the worst back then or they were the worst. And then sort of you either changed or they came around. What's what's your interpretation of, you know, history here? Right, right. Um, you know, we were all the worst, I think. You know, we're just kids. So I am my 
younger sister, Sarah, is 16 months younger than me. And then our youngest sister, Shannon, who has a twin brother, Matt, were born on my third birthday. And so all four of us are within three years. And so I think really what happened is, you know, we all went away to college and did whatever. And then in our early 20s, we're like, oh, you're actually really cool. We should be best friends. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm glad it's worked out. It sounds yeah, sounds positive. Um, I heard that your grandmother was also a runner. Yeah, she was pretty incredible. Um, she would do like crazy ultra stuff, I think. And like she even did a like a 24-hour race on a track, like just a very mentally tough woman. And um, she's always been somebody that I've looked up to. She passed away. I think it's been maybe eight months ago now. So that was definitely tough for the women in my family because she was such a person to look up to. But yeah, she had that bug for a long time. And then my mom and her sisters have all dabbled in running. And so it's definitely been in the family for sure. I mean, it kind of sounds like your grandma was an ultra runner, like kind of way before ultra running was a thing. It sounds like your grandma was like a super pioneer. Yeah. Yeah. It would make sense. And here's the crazy thing is she raised a ton of kids by herself working two jobs. And then after that, she was a travel author. So she would literally travel the world and write for different magazines and stuff. I mean, she was just a pioneer in every sense of the word, you know, and just very fearless. Um, So yeah, she was doing ultra running before it was cool. That's kind of amazing. So you're, this is starting a little bit. I mean, your current, where you currently are in life is starting to feel a little bit more inevitable, maybe. But um, I don't know. You've made great strides, I guess, since you were throwing a javelin and hating your siblings. I want to talk to you a little bit about college. You went to Western Colorado University And that's where my understanding is your kind of running really took off. So first question, what drew you to Western? Okay, so I'll back up a little bit for that. So like I said, when I was in my like mid early 20s, I kind of just dabbled around. And actually what happened, I should be more specific, is when I went to do that triathlon that I had quote unquote trained for, which really by that I mean, I swam a little bit, I ran a little bit, I biked a little bit. Um. I like did decent at the swimming and then I sucked so bad on the bike. Like I'm not saying it to be modest. I mean, I was passed by like a pregnant woman and her child on a separate bike. And <laughs> so then it got to the running and I, I did well and I didn't know what it meant, you know, cause I was just running very angrily trying to catch all these people that beat me on the bike. But afterwards, when I told Sarah, my sister, my, my time, I think it was a 5k and maybe I broke 20 minutes or something. She was just like, okay, you need to start running. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So she started coaching me um, and I trained for like a couple half marathons. I just thought that would be a fun distance, which turns out it is. And um, I actually, around that time, decided I wanted to look into going back to school to, to get a degree, even though I was still working. And so I was doing a track workout one day that Sarah had given me like well into my first year at community college, um, in Portland. And the coach there came up to me and he was like, Hey, you look like you're running fast. Do you want to be on the team next year? 
And I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm going to run on a team. This had never been in consideration in my mind ever. And so that next year was my first team experience at uh, Mount Hood Community College. So I ran there and that fall we had cross country, obviously. And it was a very tough period of my life. Um, So like I said, I was still working. I was going to school full time. My sister was training me and I was into this first season of cross country, uh, but I was also going through a divorce. And so at that time, running became this very precious thing to me that was this hour or so of the day when I could just kind of let all that stuff go. And it really saved me. And so that culminated um, with the cross country championships. And it was really ironic because on the course, I went to make a move about halfway through to pass a couple girls. I went off the course and somebody started yelling at me. They're like, you didn't get back on the course. So I lost like, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds maybe. And those girls had taken off. And I had this moment where I was like, I felt so defeated. Like it was just such a metaphor for kind of what was going on in my life. And I was like, no, fuck this. I'm getting back in this race. And I ended up catching them and winning the race. And so that was like the thing that cinched it for me. And so after that season, Sarah was like, hey, you know, if you want to, we can probably get you into a pretty good D2 school. That was another thing. Just like the coach asking me, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to run at a D2 level. Like it was so exciting. And so I realized I was like, I need, I just want to leave. I want to, I want to kind of a fresh start. And um, I had started dating my now husband, Sean, and I, and we had only been dating a couple of months. And I was like, look, I'm going to leave and go run somewhere else in the U.S. And I remember he was like, cool, where are we going? And so we picked Colorado and, and bought a motorhome and moved out there. Um, but Western specifically, because it had a good reputation, I emailed a couple different prominent D2 schools, and they were the ones that reached out back and had me in for a tour and stuff. I'm envisioning this wrong turn in the cross-country race. And suddenly while you were talking, I had like the the Chariots of Fire theme music going <laughs> in my head. So that was a pretty good moment for me. So I, I appreciate that. Did you actually hear the Chariots of Fire music like during that race? <laughs> maybe, maybe. It was hard to hear over like the, the sound of my own breathing. But um, I will say that crossing that finish line is one of the most special moments in my running career, even though, you know, it was a smaller race. It wasn't like the, the, I didn't PR. It wasn't one of the biggest races I've been in, but it was so special for me to overcome that at that point in my life. So you get to Western and then start winning a bunch of stuff at a number of different distances. Was this just kind of a, you're like, look, I don't know. I am just was trying out some different distances or felt really comfortable at the short stuff or the mid stuff or kind of all of it equally. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, the thing is when you start at longer stuff, the shorter stuff really just feels like a sprint all the (laughs) way up to like the 10 K unfortunately. Well, here's the thing. Yeah. I did start doing that faster stuff and I, I did enjoy it, but what always really helped keep me in check and I'm very grateful for this is I didn't feel like I was incredibly fast because, you know, I'd I'd all of a sudden break 17 minutes in the 5K, but, you know, I have sisters that have broken 16 minutes. So I was still not even the fastest of my siblings. (laughs) 
Um, so it definitely helped uh, keep me in check and keep me humble there. Um, yeah, it was, it was a different experience. It was also interesting because I was 27 when I started at Western uh, on a team of mostly like people in their early 20s. So uh, that was interesting. <laughs> um, but it was also cool to be a part of a team. You know, and that to me, I think was the most exciting more than the change in distance was just that opportunity to compete alongside people, to train with people, um, especially with a team that is as competitive as Western is. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, ironically, I, I, looking back, I think the most fun race honestly was the mile in the DMR. Like I enjoyed that the most. And then. Some of the other stuff is just, you know, a 10K on a track is just brutal any way you slice it. And then, of course, I enjoy the longer distances now, half marathon, full marathon. Let's talk a little bit about post-Western getting into some of the longer stuff. Pretty recent history, you were running at the U.S. Olympic marathon trials. That's pretty good. Oh, yeah, that was such a fun race, such a fun weekend. So talk a little bit about this transition from, you know, you're, you're wrapping up a collegiate career and then how you get to the 2020 U.S. Olympic marathon trials. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think there's this period of time and people don't often talk about it after college, depending on your experience. And I had some really great things at Western, but there were some things that really zapped my joy there. And one of them was this in insane focus on uh, times and paces and beating certain teams and beating certain people. And I'm already pretty type A. And so you throw something like that at me and it just, I mean, every run was for the the goal of nationals and, and it really took away that joy. And so when I finished running collegiately, um, I kind of felt a little bit lost. And so again, I talked with, with Sarah my sister. And, um, she was like, Hey, I think you'd really enjoy jumping into the longer stuff. And so she proposed this idea, um, that she was living in Kentucky at the time and she wanted to move somewhere to train where it was really good for runners. And she was like, why don't you and our other sister Shannon move out there as well? And so we all ended up moving to Flagstaff together from three different States. And that first year there, it was, it was really challenging to find that joy again. Um, you know, I think part of it was, you know, when you're on a team, you have all these objectives and all these things, but when you're on your own, you kind of have to set these goals and make these decisions for yourself. But also I had to let go and maybe this isn't for everyone, but I really had to let go of being so fixated on hitting a time or beating a certain person. And once I did, oh my gosh, running has brought me so much joy. And I was worried for a while if I would find it again. Um, but I have, I'm happy to report. And so the last year and a half that I've been here has just been filled with some of the funnest training blocks I have ever had. And I, my primary goal in a build isn't like, okay, what's going to make me fastest on race day, although that's important. It's also like, what's going to bring me the most joy. So for me, I am a trail runner with a road racing problem. So like 85, 80, 80 to 85% of my running of my mileage. And I put in some big miles it's on trails and, you know, maybe a lot of road runners don't do that 
but I don't care because it brings me so much joy. It makes me so excited to do workouts and to race. So yeah, that's kind of what I've incorporated building into my programs the last couple of years. But, and then there's of course all the technical stuff of switching. I don't know if that's kind of what you wanted answered as well, but the technical side of switching from short distances to long distances. I definitely want to get into that, but before we get into the the sort of the technical aspects of that going from shorter to longer, just to sum up, because I do think this is a common thing with with runners. It's a common thing we see with like ski racers is just the burnout question. And so to just hang for a second on this sort of recapturing the joy of running. So you you named a couple things. One, you said it was less about paying attention to the stopwatch. It was less about having to beat a certain individual. And it was running on trails rather than roads. Would you say those were sort of the top three or were the, was there anything else um, that was kind of key to that process? Because I just think every, like we can probably all relate to some degree to you know, it's like there's different times of life where you're like running is the best. And then there's other times where you're like running is kind of the worst. And so I'm just curious if I, if, if, if we got your whole story with those, were those the main three things or was there something else that you learned during that time? Yeah, I'm actually really glad you asked and we're going to go deep here. Um, but to phrase it more specifically, it was, it was more that I allowed running to bring out the joy that was in me rather than searching for running to make me happy. Like, oh, if I run this, this time, I'll be happy. If I make it to this race in place this way, I'll be happy. Instead, I, I really kind of just, when I let that go, I decided to kind of turn inward a little bit. And so I started, um, a meditation practice and just taking care of myself in those ways that I could let that joy come out. And I was truly open to the possibility that like, hey, you know, it's possible that running might not bring me joy and I need to be okay with that if that is the case. But fortunately, I found that it does continue to bring that out. Um, but it's tough when you're looking at other people, especially on social media, and people are putting this highlight reel up and it looks like every single day they are just loving running and it's just you know they're on cloud nine every day and it sometimes you can feel you know upset at yourself if you don't feel like that's you um so i think it's more important to just turn inward a little bit and just find that joy on your own and then take that into your running and i'm sure for anybody who's been on a team it's you know you see it all the time where there's a lot of people I was around that it was pretty clear that they weren't enjoying what they were doing. And maybe that's part of what I allowed to rub off on me as well. Um, but I always thought about that a lot. Like there'd be a couple of people here and there who would leave the team and it was, you know, looked down upon, but at the same time, I'm just like, it's okay if running isn't for everyone. Like that's an okay thing. You know, we don't need to pretend like that is the one thing that, you know, some people it's dancing and some people it's, I don't know, sports ball or whatever people do to move around. <laughs> I don't know those things, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I would, I mean, I try to encourage people in that way that, because at the end of the day, you know, even if you run a particular time that you've had your heart set on or 
place a certain way, yeah, it'll feel great, but it's not a sustainable joy that's going to last you. You know, you're always going to be chasing the next thing. Whereas if you just achieve that joy within yourself, then, oh my gosh, running is going to be more enjoyable all the time. Let's go to the technical aspect of this. Um, Moving from the shorter distances to the longer distances. Right. So... When I left Western, my sister Sarah started coaching me again. And and for listeners who don't know, my sister is Sarah Crouch. She's a phenomenal marathoner. She's uh, run 232. And she's also a really phenomenal coach. And so the biggest transitions were this. Um, the shorter stuff, you're doing at a higher intensity, of course, certain repeats, that kind of thing. Once you bump up into marathon training, you want to be in touch with what that rhythm feels like. And so we spent many workouts, especially in long runs. I had very few long runs in any of my builds where I haven't been doing work in those long runs. And that work has been up to like nine or 10 miles, you know, just locking into what marathon rhythm and pace should be, should feel like. Um, So that is a huge block of that, um, which to me, I find way more enjoyable. I would way rather you know, do marathon pace for like 10 miles than do 400s on the track (laughs) any day. And um, so it's just a preference of what you enjoy. But I tend to enjoy that um, a bit more. And then of course, my mileage went up and, and we've played around with that. And everybody's very different. So I don't recommend like any, any certain set mileage for anyone, but I tend to respond well to high mileage. And so we've played around and gone up to 115 um, a week, you know, that's kind of capping out there. It's not like I run that every week. Um, but you know, definitely hitting higher volume. And, and so you're far more efficient or for me, it, it played out that way, but those were the biggest changes. So if one fifteen is a big week for you, what is the lower end look like for you? Mileage wise? Right. I would say, you know, in a three or four month build, I'm still averaging 100 to 110 a week. Um, but, you know, we build into that, obviously, the first month. I'm not starting off just building into that. And and one thing that I think has kept me uninjured and progressing every season is that my sister works in cyclical rest. And so every third or fourth week, we have a down week. And so it's about, you know, 10 to 20% in volume down. Um, and then after I run a marathon, I take a big fat break. I mean, like two weeks of sitting around eating apple fritters, drinking beer. Like I really try to reset. And if I need longer, I take longer. Or if, you know, I feel fresher a couple days earlier then I, I try to listen to my body. So I think balancing the high volume with rest is why I can sustain those miles. I have a different philosophy. I, I'm i going through a really long cyclical rest phase right now. <laughs> and then uh, I'm just, you know, building, just just biding my time, you know, to then right. get into the high intensity training. But um, yeah, so my cyclical rest phase is, is long and going great, just Perfect. for the record. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, here's something interesting. If you think about it, the three women who... Um, who took top three at the Olympic trials all have come off very big breaks in the not too distant past. One for stress fracture or some type of fracture, one for uh, rehab and one for to have children. And 
I, I think that there's something to be said for that. And I think that part of the problem, going back to what we were talking about with burnout, is that we feel like we need to go from season to season to season. We don't want to lose fitness when it's like that is not sustainable uh, mentally or physically. And so I do think having bigger breaks, taking breaks, like if you really don't feel motivated to run and it's not just like a couple day thing, this is like weeks of this playing out, your body is probably trying to tell you something. So what mostly what I heard you say there is you actually really like my chances for the 2024 U.S. Olympic marathon. I think that's exactly what I said. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you heard it here first, people. Uh, Georgia <laughs> Porter. Um, I'm, I'm her favorite. I'm her current favorite for, uh, you know, four years from now. So I appreciate that vote of confidence. And absolutely. As I promise as soon as we're done with this conversation, I'm going to get right back to the apple fritters and beer. So, you know, perfect. As uh, long as you build up and run 115 mile week next week, I think you're fine. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a catch, I guess. All right. We'll, we'll see about that. Um, so, We've learned a bit about your cyclical rest program and the kind of miles you have been doing. I guess you've been on this program for a while. Maybe you can clarify that for us. But in addition, help us understand like what's going on with you professionally and in your career. Yeah. So I got into EMS pretty early. I was 18, eventually got my paramedic. And it was such a fun career. I really, really enjoyed the job for the most part. But as I pursued school and running more, um, it became very hard to balance all of that. And I actually, when I moved to Gunnison to go to Western, um, I got a job as a paramedic in Gunnison. And so I was going to school running a lot more than I had, at, obviously, at community college. And I was pulling maybe three to four shifts a month. So once a week, I would I would work on Sundays. So I would go run Sunday morning at like 6 a.m. I would go run like 15 to 20 miles. And then I would go to work at 9 a.m. till 9 a.m. on Monday morning. So I would work a 24-hour shift. Um, and and that, was, that had its challenges for sure. Um, and so I started realizing as I was looking at moving to Flagstaff, I started to realize that if I wanted to pursue running and really see what I was capable of um, and, and pursue some pretty big goals that I could not sustain a career in EMS and run, um, which was, you know, partly sad. But at the same time, um, I think I was ready for the change, too. It had been over a decade. So I, I looked into a couple options, and my mom is actually a personal trainer. And so I talked with her and what I, the two things I loved about the job looking at it was this, the first one is very selfish. I'll say that right off the bat, um, is that I would have access to a gym. Um, and in particular where I work, it's access to physical therapy and massage therapy as well. Um, so it really fit really well in this lifestyle that I was trying to pursue. But the other reason was this, as a medic, I often arrived on the scene and treated people that were, you know, I was putting a Band-Aid on such a bigger problem. And it really didn't feel like, for the most part, that I was making a difference 
And I know that may sound counterintuitive, but you know, it's like somebody who's very healthy or excuse me, unhealthy, out of shape, poor life choices, who's having a heart attack, you know, even if they do survive that, um, I'm not there to help them to make better life choices. And so I really wanted to work with people who were trying to make those choices, who were trying to get in shape. And I really wanted to make a difference in that way. It's not as glamorous. It's not as, you know, fast paced or exciting, but I really feel like the work I'm doing is, is helping change people's life in that way. So that's why I chose that career. I had told you, you know, a bit earlier that I also had been a personal trainer for over 10 years before I started Blister. And what you just said totally resonates with me. I think while I know a lot of really good physical therapists and I really admire good physical therapists, just for me personally, I kind of felt like physical therapists were often dealing with someone who was, say, already injured, already dealing with an issue and trying to bring them back to like their normal, whatever that was for them. Whereas a personal trainer, we got to typically start with people where they were and try to make them better, like, right? Like an improved right. version of where they started. And it's just kind of two different things. Both are critically important. Um, but I think that that, like you, I think I kind of gravitated to that side of it, which was let's go try to transform you into the best possible version of you that you can be. It's just a different, different thing. It is. That's, I mean, I think you said it perfectly. And, and the other thing too, that I, I didn't think about this initially, and I would love to know if your experience has been the same, but what I found is a lot of the clients that I work with, you know, the hour or so that they come in and work with me, that may be the only hour of their day that somebody is speaking encouragement and speaking positively to them. Hmm. And I've thought about that a lot about this space that I'm trying to create, like, you know, the physical side of it, of course, I want to get them strong and I want to help, to help them accomplish goals. But at the same time, it's like, I want to be that voice that's telling them that they can do it because the coolest part of the job for me, at least is when I see somebody do something that they had previously thought they couldn't do. And then they do that. And it's a cool feeling. Cause you're like, I, I knew you could do that. And now you get to know you could do that. And there's, it's so great to be able to empower people in that way. Totally agree. Yep. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about kind of your training philosophy and, you know, on the physio shop page, it's basically your bio page. There was a sentence that kind of jumped out at me where it says, Georgia incorporates endurance into her strength and conditioning programs to maximize her clients, functional fitness and metabolic health. And I just thought, okay, this is always fun, right? Um, because often endurance and strength are kind of put on opposite ends of the spectrum. And some folks have, you know, kind of a the belief or opinion that it's best to keep them separated. So talk to me a little bit about this sort of blending and merging of endurance and strengths. Yeah, I will. I would love to answer that in two ways. So I'll talk about what I do with most of my clients, and then I can talk about how I do that um, in my own training too. So 
with my clients, in particular clients who are looking for changes in body composition, who don't necessarily go out and run a hundred miles a week or do, you know, endurance, you know, an hour or two a day. What I work in, I actually have interval work for them in their workouts. And so that particular part of it is, you know, we'll do a set and I'll break that down in a moment, but incorporated in each set, usually at the end is some type of interval training. And it can range anywhere, you know, between like 30 seconds and five minutes Typically, I don't want people to feel like, you know, they're on a treadmill for 10 minutes, three times during their workout, like they're not going to enjoy that. Nobody enjoys that. Um, But, you know, maybe it's we're doing minute pieces, or maybe we're doing four minute pieces. And I kind of alternate those depending on how they're progressing and what they respond best to. Um, But that is in the form of, um, you know, maybe the stair machine or treadmill, maybe I'll have them run outside. but they're actually hitting interval work just like you and I would hit interval work if we went and did a track session. Obviously not as much, you know, but it has been shown to um, to work pretty well. And so in addition to that, to break down my, my philosophy of training, there's a couple different systems that you can consider hitting for people. Uh, the first system is your stabilization endurance. Um, The next system is your muscular endurance. Then you have uh, hypertrophy. Then you have maximal strength and you have power. Okay. So those are the five things you could consider. And like you kind of explained, a lot of times people think like, oh, I just need to go for hypertrophy or I just need to go for muscular endurance. When that's really not the case because your body can respond to multiple different things in one workout, in one training block. And so I'll assess people. Let's say I have a client come in and their balance is really off um, and they're, you know, they don't have a ton of muscle. And so we know we want to hit stabilization endurance and we know we want to hit some muscular strength and maybe we'll throw some endurance in there as well. So I kind of cherry pick from those five systems what would work best. Now for runners, um, people are, Runners can be so scared of lifting, and I I don't quite know why, um, because lifting has helped me stay injury free, and I think it's kept me uh, progressing. So I I love it. And so the the systems that I hit, I hit uh, maximal strength, and then I hit muscular endurance because obviously that's important, and I hit power. And what that actually pans out to look like is the muscular strength element um, is the first part of my session. And I do a very heavy lift. And so let's say it's either going to be like a squat, a deadlift, a push press, or a power clean. Those are my four go-tos. And this is going to be at a weight that I can only do about three to five reps. So I'm not hitting that hypertrophy zone. I'm not putting on muscle. I'm working on recruiting as many uh, of those units as I can to work on maximal strength. Then after that, my next, you know, maybe four to five exercises are accessory lifts that are muscular endurance. So kind of what you would think I'm doing 15 to 20 reps. I do a lot of single sided stuff, a lot of stuff that gets glute activation, core activation, some stuff that I really need. So that's the next maybe five exercises. And then at the end, I finish with some type of plyometric. um, And that's to hit that power system. 
So I am constantly hitting those three systems throughout my training. Pretty good. And when you say you're hitting those three systems throughout your training, just to clarify, that's in a single session or that is when you're talking about through the course of a particular week? I suppose. Oh, good question. No, that is in a single session. So I'll do my heavy lift, accessory, power. And I'll rotate through those a few times. And and what I was alluding to, though, was um, throughout a marathon build. So in the earlier months, I will lift a little bit more. I'll maybe try to get in three times a week because I have no excuse because I work at a gym. Uh, but once I start getting up into those, you know, those peak weeks, I can maybe drag myself in twice. Um, so it does ebb and flow a bit. But I, I sustain those three through the entire marathon uh, build. So how long have you sort of been on this kind of training program and related question, how do you feel like it's going? I mean, are you like, man, I, I don't feel like I'm close to peaking yet, you know, with this kind of style of training, um, or are you like, well, I don't know, maybe I'm kind of nearing that peak and it might be time to either change things up or explore new ways to kind of push to another level. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, I am, I definitely think that given my, my running age in some sense, um, I'm nowhere close to my peak, um, which is very encouraging. Um, you know, given my progress thus far. Um, but to go back to what you said about lifting. So I, when I finished running collegiately, I was in Gunnison for the rest of that summer because summer in Gunnison and Crested Butte is the best thing ever. Um, so I was up there and I met with the strength and conditioning coach of like the football, wrestling, other, you know, sports ball teams. And his name is Steven. He's a fantastic, fantastic lifting coach. And he is the first one who introduced me to this philosophy. And so since that time, so I want to say that was three years ago. Since that time, this program has continued to evolve. So it's not like I do this program, the same exact program, marathon build after marathon build. I change up the exercises every single time. And that's very important because you don't want your body to get used to something. You're not going to get nearly as much out of it. So that is actually, I'm glad you brought that up so I could, could clarify a little bit. But it does change build to build. Um, and I think that... For me, like when you bring up results, I'm not, I don't need to shy away from that word at all because that is a good measure um, of how your training is going. And for me, I've, I've been really fortunate that uh, this measure that I've been able to track, I've progressed every season. And that's been really cool, especially the last season. I had a couple kind of breakout races. And so I think the training running wise is, is working well for me. On the lifting side, I feel that that is what keeps me very strong and injury-free. Um, because at the end of the day, if you get an injury that knocks you out for a season, it will take away from your speed because it's taking you out for a season. And I think that's the biggest argument for lifting, especially for distance runners, is that if you just run, you are going to get an overuse injury at some point in your career. If you lift and you strengthen appropriately, you're really going to fend that off. 
this is just reminding me of the conversation I had with Nell Rojas on Off the Couch, right? Also funny that you both were running in the same race in Atlanta together. So I don't know, maybe you guys are, um, maybe you two are on the the forefront here and pretty soon everyone's going to be like, oh yeah, sure, of course this is the way we should all be (laughs) training to run. I hope so. And you know, the other thing too, and what I love is there's women like her that are clearly so strong, doing so well, who look very fit. And I don't think there's any box anybody should be in. But what I like though, is in the last couple of years that there's more of us, because I have a very muscular build as well. And that's okay. It tends to actually help me in a marathon. And so I think it's just good encouragement, especially for women in the sport of like, hey, it's okay to be muscular you can be strong and fast. They can, the two can go together. So what are kind of your goals? Where do you see this all going? You already confessed early on that you're kind of type A. So I don't think I'd believe you if you're just like, I don't really know. I'm just enjoying every day and getting stronger. You've got to at least have some, (laughs) some goals, some ideas, some thoughts about where you think this might end up. Absolutely. No, it's, and it's a balance. And, um, I've just noticed that the, the more I let go of it in training, the more I'm able to perform better on race day is probably a better way of saying that. Um, where do I see it going? So I do have some goals and, and my goal for a long time was of course, to run the trials, which was so incredible to be a part of that piece of history. And it was also special because, um, Although my sister is incredibly fast, it's she's had some very bad luck with injuries, the timing of it being at the trials. So I'm actually the first person in my family to run at the marathon trials, um, which, I, you know, is I was very sad in that my sisters weren't there, but also like, you know, proud that I could represent and, and be there. So that was my goal for a while. I think moving forward from that, My biggest goal, (laughs) you're going to shake your head at this. My biggest goal is to continue to find joy in it, but also to continue to improve, which improving means getting faster, right? So I would love for the next four years until 2024 to just keep ratcheting down those times, specifically in my half marathon and my full marathon. Um, You know, as I, I got the A standard before going into the trials, which was really wonderful, but you know, once you get there, you're like, okay, I want to get in the low two thirties or once I get there, I'm going to want to break two thirty. Um, so those are goals that I have on the horizon and probably my biggest goal that is really far away from now is the 2024 trials. Um, you know, I want to be in a position going into the trials where I can say, Hey, like I'm shooting for top 10 or I'm shooting to make a team. Like I want to be in that kind of position in four years. And that's a huge goal. And I know that. And I know there's going to be a lot of work between now and then to get there. There's also going to be, you know, hoping that I don't get injured or life things don't pop up. Um, But I would say that is my one of the bigger goals I have out there that's helping me continue to chase that down. Well, speaking of the Olympic trials, I'd love to circle back to your race and just hear a little bit more about that day and competing and how you were feeling and and the like. Yeah. So obviously it was a very historic year for women, a ton of women qualified. Um, 
And I knew a lot of them. It was so fun to be in this huge group of women. Some of them I ran with in college. Some of them I competed against in college. And it was just the the emotion and the feeling of that, even before the race started, was very powerful. Um, I had such a cool plan from my sister. And it was, as most people know, the course in Atlanta was very hilly. Well, okay, for your ultra runners, they're not going to think it was hilly at all. But for a road runner, there was some up and down. Um, and it was pretty windy too. And so we thought, okay, I'm just going to be really patient and run the pace that I know is sustainable for about 16 miles. And then I get to race 10 miles and just be this lion on the hunt. And so the race starts and it's this huge group of women and all of a sudden starts stringing out. And I had this huge urge, you know, I wanted to be up running with people. I was getting passed by so many people and it I had to continually, like every quarter mile, remind myself of my plan that I had talked about for months. <laughs> so I think around mile eight or nine, I was in 85th place. And I didn't know that at the time. This is looking back, but I knew that there was a lot of people in front of me. And so around the halfway point, I didn't pick up the pace, but I did start to, some people started coming back to me. Some women did that had maybe gone out a little too hard, but I was like hungry for mile 16. I was like, I am ready to like, to go attack this thing. And so I finally got to mile 16 and, um, just, I, all I did for like 10 miles is I would look at the girl in front of me at her back and reel her in over and over and over. And, um, so I did that. And at one point I think somebody yelled out, like I knew I was maybe in 50th place, which for me, I was like, Oh my gosh, I came in rank 69th to be in the fifties would be super cool, but I'm going to see if I can get maybe in the forties. So I keep going. And if anybody's run a marathon or I'm sure an ultra, it's like the last 5k, you can't think, you can't do math. You can't do anything other than like survive and continually grind and fight to put one foot in front of the other. And so I did that and I crossed the line and I had no clue where I was at. And my mom was at the finish line and, um, I'll probably get emotional, but she just hugged me and she was like, you're 28th. And so that's actually how I found out what place I was is my mom like being so excited and hugging me. And so that was just incredibly special to know that I executed a plan that we had been working on for so long and it went well. And, and that feeling was really, really incredible. So going into that day, going into that race, were you thinking at all about specific places? Were you like, ah, you know, who's to say what the day will bring, but like top 50 would be great? Or did did you have any kind of specific? Yeah. Yeah. And like we have been talking about, of course it was a balance. Like I knew the execution of my race was more important than paying attention to numbers. And like, if I executed it well, it would get me my highest place possible. Right. And so Sarah had asked me like, Oh, what, what is your goal for, for place? Do you have one? So I was like, well, I'm ranked you know, 69th. So if I could cut that in half, you know, be, maybe be like in the thirties. And she laughed at me and she was like, no, let's aim for top 25. And I was like, you're crazy. But she has this quote and it's so beautiful. I remember her saying this before that if you're hitting your goal more than 10% of the time, you are not setting a high enough goal. Goals are not meant to be achieved. And so I love that she set 25th because I was not scared 
to pass people that like I knew previously would have beaten me perhaps. But um, it just kind of gave me that fearlessness to just like execute what I needed to execute. And it got me pretty dang close to 25th. And that was pretty cool. And so you feel like you already kind of said this well. You're like, I'm just going to, you know, get through the first 16 miles and that's when we go. And you all in all felt like on that day, if you had to kind of go back and, you know, evaluate your own execution, you sounds like you're pretty happy. Like you'd give yourself pretty high marks for executing the plan that you guys had laid out. Yeah, I would say when I went back and reevaluated it, that for that part of it, because I'm sure so many people in your audience will know this, but in a marathon, those, especially the first five to 10 miles, they're crucial because you can lose the race there. You can end up having a very bad time. And I've had those races in a marathon and it is not a fun way to run. Um, so I felt like my execution for the first, I would say the first, so all of 23 miles, I felt like went really well. Um, the last 5k, you know, it's tough because in the moment I definitely was hurting. I feel like there was a part of me, and this is the only part I would like to work on in the future. And this is what we're working on right now. I'm having a pseudo track season because there's no track meets. But I just had a hard time trying to access that last gear that you need in that 5K. And I, I wanted to move forward a little bit more than I had. And I think that's what would have bumped me up into the top 25 is if I had that closing track speed to access. And, um, it wasn't quite there. So I held my ground and I did well. Um, but I think that's that little piece that for me is my weakness that I'm going to continue to build and get stronger in. (laughs) I confess that never in my life have I thought about how to improve closing track speed after running 23 miles already. (laughs) I mean, not like I want to hit a track, like a 5K PR, but if you look at some of the women who are some of the best marathoners, Shalane Flanagan and Desi Linden and all these women, you know, they have track seasons. For that reason, they have that ability to pull that out, you know, and I'm sure at some distance in a race that does not matter, I imagine, like in ultras, but but there are, so much can happen in that last 5K. 10k of the race arguably the race is the last 10k what are the kind of foundational elements for how you train to get good at running 23 miles and then still having to use your term that track speed once you're already toast right um i think it has to be a constant revisiting um and having those seasons and so not that it should be the same for everyone, but for me, it's like Sarah will throw that in. I will not have more than two marathon builds back to back. And so I'll do two marathons and then I'll go to the track. I'll do two mar- or the road, you know, not necessarily track, but just like shorter distances, right? 5K, 10K speed. Um, so I will constantly be revisiting them. And Kind of like lifting too, we talked about, you know, you shouldn't just be doing one thing. I'm not going to go out and just do marathons constantly over and over and over and over. You know, I let, it's important to mix it up with those different seasons, I believe. Um, so that's part of it. And then the other part of it, I think the biggest piece, which to some is going to sound so boring, but it's just 
consistency and that is it. And there's a really great quote in some running book somewhere that was saying it's just the process of molecule by molecule removing the rubber from the bottom of your shoes. You know, that's it. And it sounds boring, but it's just like putting in those marathon builds, putting in those track seasons over and over and over and over and over with rest, of course. But um, yeah, that's that's really the, the ingredient. That's it. So just to recap, apple fritters, beer, <laughs> beer. beer and removing rubber. Yeah. yeah. I feel like you've hit the three most important things. <laughs> Good beer. I can't... <laughs> I can't wait to see you at the 2024, you know, uh, trials. We're going to be on the podium together. Right. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to have an apple fritter for <laughs> one for you. I'll have, I'll already be eating mine. And then I'll be like, here you go, Georgia. This is great. You know, cheers. And, uh, will you have carried that for the entire race? <laughs> That's gross. No, I, I, no, I, uh, no. Cause if I did that, I would just quit like half a mile in and be like, you know, I could keep running or eat this delicious apple fritter. That's uh, true. So I, that would be too tempting. So we okay, should probably, <laughs> we should probably leave those for the end of the race. That's fair. Well, Hey, this has been great. Yeah. Thank you so much. That was a blast. Well, thank you. And yeah, look forward to do it again sometime. That's it for this edition of off the couch. Thanks to Georgia for the great conversation. Thanks to Luke Alley for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening. And from all of us here in Crested Butte, Colorado, we hope that you are doing well. And until next time, please be safe. Please take good care of yourself and everyone else. Please keep moving forward, and we will talk to you again next week.